0: chance to uh to worship here this morning um lord i pray that as we open our bibles um and we read your word lord that you would impress on us the incredibleness of who you are as our redeemer it's in jesus name we pray amen if you'll excuse me so that i can grab my bible and my notes and i'll be right back If you would do me the great honor of turning in your copy of God's Word to uh, the final chapter of Ruth, so Ruth chapter 4. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I have very much enjoyed going through uh, the book of Ruth. Um, that uh, I, I try and keep us balanced as to going through Old Testament and New Testament texts, and I have been greatly blessed by being able to study this book, by being able to, to preach this book, and I hope you have as well. Uh, the the main character of our uh, study shifted last week in that, that Ruth has has pretty much done Ruth's part uh, up to this point, and now it falls on Boaz to finish our story. Uh, that it is going to come down to the actions of the kinsman redeemer and how he handles his job as to whether or not our story, our true story of redemption, has. A happy ending, and I don't think any of us are going to leave here this morning unsatisfied with the way this story ends. And I'm pretty excited about this, y'all, because Boaz is a pretty slick old boy. Uh, he's he's a pretty smart guy, uh, and, and we're going to we're going to see um, his wisdom and his shrewdness in his dealings uh, this morning as we as we read from our text. So if you would uh, stand with me, out of respect for the reading of God's word, we're going to be um, in Ruth chapter four. Uh, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through the end of the book. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken er, spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, Sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, Oh, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Aren't you glad we don't do things that way now? (laughs) Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Kilian and Malan's from the hand of Naomi." Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez. Whom tomorrow bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nation. Nation begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz and Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that you would teach us about your son Jesus, our great Redeemer, through it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I named the last sermon in our series Sandals and Sons because that seems to be what it's about. Um, uh, Boaz... Um, is picking right up exactly where um, our our dear scheming mother-in-law Naomi told us he was going to. Uh, At the end of chapter 3, she said, Ruth, sit down and watch. (laughs) Pretty much because you can pretty much bet that this man is not going to end the day without taking care of the business he needs to take care of. Uh, and, And I'm really honestly amazed. Uh, at the the wisdom and shrewdness of Boaz and what you're about to see. But remember, our theme this entire study of this book has been that the Bible is not a book of lots of several disparate stories. It is one story told over and over and over. And right now, we're just seeing the theme of a redeemer purchasing back uh, a helpless individual from a hopeless situation, we are seeing that through Boaz and Ruth right now. But I want us to think forward from this situation. Again, this is, this is not purely an analogy. Uh, I, I, there's not going to be something in every little part of this story that has a direct relationship to Jesus, but the principles will carry over one to one even though the situations are not identical. And we're going to point those out as we go through. But I want us to compare this situation that we see with Boaz and Ruth this morning in the chapter 4 of the book of Ruth to the ministry of Jesus on behalf of his church. And the first uh, truth that I want us to see is that God the Son willingly accepted the personal cost of redeeming us. God the Son willingly accepted the personal cost of redeeming us. Uh, Look look in verse 1, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. Now if you'll remember back at the end of chapter 3, when they split off at the threshing floor, Boaz gives Ruth some grain and he says, you can't go home empty handed to your mother-in-law. So this is kind of like one of those TV shows, you know, where you've got two cameras in two separate places and you'll see one thing happen first. But then you'll see something else happen, and you're supposed to understand these two actions actually happened at the same time. You just find out about one before you find out about the other. In chapter 3, we find out that Ruth goes home and tells Naomi what's happened. In chapter 4, we find out that while Ruth is on her way home, before daybreak, remember she got up when it was still so dark that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't recognize one from another is the way the, the author puts it here. She got up before one could recognize another. So this is before sunrise. This is early in the morning. Um, this is when if you get up, you, you need that extra cup of coffee. If y'all are coffee drinkers, that it's, it's early in the morning. Ruth is going on her way home. Well, while Ruth is on her way home, Boaz is on his way to the city gate. He didn't even go home, it looks like. He left the threshing floor, and he went straight to the city gate. Now, now what, what's this deal with the city gate? Uh, this is pretty much like going to, it, it would have fulfilled all the functions of the local courthouse. Th- this is where legal proceedings uh, took place. It was somewhat of a public forum that this is where you could be guaranteed to find something that Boaz was going to need several of, and that's going to be witnesses. Uh, that legal transactions would take place in public especially in this era in in the city gates because there was usually a a plaza that would have had even if it wasn't huge it would have had enough room for people together um, to transact legal business with witnesses there to verify uh, what had happened so verse 1 says boaz went up to the gate and sat down there when he sits down this is telegraphing to everybody i'm not just passing by to say hello I'm in the city gate because I have business in the gates. Um, I am coming to transact legal business this morning. And behold, oh, it just, it, isn't it wonderful how these things just seem to just happen? Ruth just happens to walk into Boaz's field. Boaz just happens to notice Ruth. Boaz just happens to be a kinsman redeemer. And this guy just happens to walk by Boaz. Now, the reason I called him this guy is because that's about as good as you're going to get the rest of this book. Um, You may have a footnote um, down at the bottom of of your text where what you read in the New King James is the author says, Behold, the close relative, kinsman redeemer, some of you, um, of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Remember, this man is the closer relative that stands between him and Ruth. We have a legal issue here that Boaz wants to redeem Ruth. He wants to marry her, but he is not the closest relative. There's actually one more man in the middle. We call him the obstacle. (laughs) That Boaz says, huh, we got to get him out of the way. And we got to do this the right way. Because this man legitimately does, under the law, he legitimately has rights that Boaz does not have. Not just to marry Ruth, but also to redeem the land, to redeem the estate. In layman's terms, this guy is a problem. So wouldn't you know it, Boaz is waiting on the gate and this guy comes by. So Boaz says, come aside, friend. That's very generous in the way that the text says, Uh, calls it and uh, if you react the way i did when when you when you find out about the original language you're going to kind of chuckle a little bit but it's actually going to have some meaning later in this text you might have a footnote at the bottom the hebrew um, for the term boaz uses is poloni almoni what does that mean not much this is the same and i'm i'm dead serious this would be the same as if uh, Boaz were to be sitting in the gate and he'd say, Hey, hey, what's your name? Come over here. Hey, so-and-so, come here. Or the technical term. Hey, hey, uh, what's, what's old Dooflunky's name? Come here, you, come here. I don't, I don't, it, it, that's literally the idea. In fact, if you go and you look at the Jewish Publication Society's translation of this, it, it actually says, Come over here and sit down, so-and-so. It, this guy, doesn't, he's not even named, which is going to be really significant later that he's not even named. But Boaz, he doesn't even call him by name. He just says, hey, hey, buddy, hey, friend, come here. And the guy comes and sits down. Boaz doesn't even tell him why he wants business, but apparently Boaz is respected enough that when Boaz says, hey, come here and sit down, he comes and sits down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat, court is convened. We've got the two parties that are about to enter into negotiations. We've got witnesses. This is in a public, recognized area that legal transactions can take place. Uh, the court has been assembled. We can go. it is important to understand that this is a legal issue. That this man is legitimately, legally a barrier between the Redeemer and the one he desires to redeem. That the Redeemer cannot just say, I was listening to another preacher uh, preach this text uh, yesterday. He said, you know, it might have been easy for us to just emotionally say, Oh, well, Boaz, you love her. She loves you. Why don't y'all just get married? That ain't right. That there's a legal barrier between the redeemer and the potential redeemed. There's a problem between him and her. There's a pretty one-to-one correlation between Jesus and us. That there's a legal issue between the redeemer and the one he desires to redeem. And in our case, that is sin. That is the law. Now again, like said, having, having a man who has legal rights to marry and redeem property is one thing. Having sin between an almighty holy God and the people who's created is another. The only similarity is that they're both legal issues. Why are there legal issues? Because God is a good, just, holy God. How many of you, if you ever went to court and you saw a, a murderer in court standing in front of the bench... All the evidence proves this person committed murder. We basically got it on camera. You can watch them commit the crime. It's a guarantee. And the judge looks at the murderer and says, Are you sorry that you killed this person? And the murderer says, Oh, yes, I'm so torn up about it. Are you ever going to do it again? No, I'm not. Okay, well, now run along now. You behave. How would you respond to that judge? You'd be furious. Because a judge who's supposed to be good and who's supposed to be just is obligated to deal with crime. Shall the judge of all the earth not do right? God is a holy, good, just judge, which means he cannot look at our sin and wink. He can't just say, oh, well, it's not a big deal. Now, y'all, y'all do better, okay? That's not the way he reacts to sin. You know, the Bible says that because of our sin, we bear his wrath. That there is a legal issue between us and between God. You can look on your handout. Look at Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Here's the way Paul describes this. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out, here's the key, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way. If he's taken it out of the way, what does that mean it was before he did something about it? It was in the way. That there is a problem, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ this morning, there is a problem between you and God. I don't want you to think of, of your sin as your badness, as a sickness, that you just need to go to the doctor and get better. That's not what sin is. Sin is a weapon that you hold up and wave against God because you're at war with him. There is a problem, a legal issue between you and God that your sin makes it impossible for the two of you to have a relationship until that sin is taken out of the way. How did Paul say, our Redeemer did that? He's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having done what? Nailed it to the cross that just like Boaz went to the gate to carry out a legal transaction that would give him the right to redeem Ruth, Jesus took his cross up Calvary in front of all the witnesses and carried out a legal transaction that gave him the right to redeem us. Both redeemers had a legal issue, and both of them did not waste any time getting to deal with it. There's a legal issue. It had to be settled in court. There was only one way to do it, and it had to be done right. So Boaz finds this guy. He convenes the court. Now let's look at verse 3. This is when it starts to get fun. I love this. Then he said to the close relative, still not named, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So you see the, the shared family relationship here. And I thought to inform you, brother, I just wanted to be nice. I just figured you should know that this land, all this land that our brother Elimelech owned, it's just waiting on somebody to come and pick it up. And I thought I would be nice to you, and I would just let you know that it's available, and I thought I would just say to you in front of all these witnesses that just happen to be here, you ought to buy it back. Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. Guess what, sir? You are now on the carpet where you have been called. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. What did Boaz fail to mention? (laughs) he failed to mention that you get the mother-in-law and the daughter with it. This sounds like a no-brainer to this guy, doesn't it? Hey, friend, I called all these witnesses here together, and I called you out because I wanted you to know that you get a free estate today. That you can redeem, well, not free, but you can purchase it back Uh, What has probably gone on here um, is that Naomi did not technically under the law have the right to sell the land. Selling land worked a little bit differently in these ancient times than it does now. You don't just draw up a deed and sell it to somebody. The closer analogy would have been you lease the land out. Every, every so often, there was something called the year of Jubilee, at which point, all the land would revert back to the family of the original Jewish family that owned it. And when you sold, quote-unquote, land, you would tabulate the value of it based on the number of crops that you would have before you had to return it back to that family in the year of Jubilee. Well, what Elimelech had probably done is Elimelech, you remember he moved to Moab because he's trying to live through a famine. Well, moving to Moab is not way up on your list of things I want to do. So what has probably occurred, and again, speculation, I'm I'm not the only one who thinks this, people with PhDs do, so there you go, take it for what it's worth. That what Elimelech had probably done is Elimelech had, had leased out this land to someone else in the Jewish community outside his family, and then goes off to Moab after the money runs out. He dies, Malan dies, Killian dies. Well being a widow, Naomi can't come back and redeem the land by herself. She doesn't have the legal right to. It would have to be a kinsman redeemer. He is the one, whoever this kinsman redeemer is, is going to have to go to the family that this land has been sold into the hands of, and they're going to have to redeem it back. Well, whoever wins this legal back and forth is going to be the one who subsumes Elimelech's estate into his own. So you're going to get a whole lot more really, really fast. Because that's going to stay in your family now because you were the kinsman redeemer. And this guy hears this and he goes, Huh? All I have to do is take care of Naomi until she dies. I don't have to perpetuate anything, I just get the land. This is wonderful. And so he says very quickly, Okay, I'll redeem it. Sounds good to me, Boaz. And then Boaz hits him with the not-so-fast, my friend. Chapter 5. Then Boaz said, oh, by the way, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Boaz has now raised the stakes. That when you buy this land, you are you are bringing it into your household because you are saying, I do not want the name of our kinsman, Elimelech, and his family to pass from the records of the nation of Israel. Well, in keeping with that idea, in keeping with that spirit, Boaz throws out, oh, since you have stated that you want to keep Elimelech's name and family alive and on the records in Israel... You are going to be so happy to learn that Ruth, who is still of childbearing age, is going to need someone to further this family line. So when you redeem this land, you're going to be able to father a child with her. Isn't that great? And you can imagine this guy probably is standing there like he's been hit in the face with a two-by-four, going, wait, huh? I have to do what? How did Boaz describe Ruth? You must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess. Boaz is doing everything he can to make this once great looking idea be real scary for this guy. And what is the, how does the guy respond? And the close relative, still unnamed, said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. Now, this might mean that I don't have the financial... I would ruin myself financially if I was responsible for taking care of the land that I already own, the land that I'm going to get through this transaction, this child that I'm going to have with Ruth, I'm going to have to provide for her, I'm going to have to provide for Naomi. I just don't have enough money to do all this, Boaz. That might have been the reason. It might have been that she's a Moabite. I don't want anything to do with a Moabite. Any child that I have with her is going to be half Moabite. We're going to have a half Moabite owning land in Israel. No! He could have had any number of reasons to say, I can't do this, but at any rate... As soon as he hears Ruth and future Ruth's child and the care of Naomi is part of this, Canary changes his tune really fast. He goes from I'm going to redeem it to not just I won't redeem it, but I can't redeem it. This is outside of the realm of possibility, Boaz. So the closer elves says I can't redeem it. Lest I ruin my own inheritance, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now we've hit pay dirt. This is what Boaz wanted the whole time. Now, I just want to to throw something out there for you to consider that I thought about while I was Why is this such a big deal? I want you to think back for just a second. I didn't put it on your outline but I'll just reference it and tell the story briefly. Do you remember when Abraham and Sarah are, are just kind of living in, in Canaan? They get there, and Sarah dies. And Abraham goes to purchase the, the, the cave at Machpel, to bury Sarah in. He's buying a cave for his wife. And the chapter takes, like, forever. It's just paragraph on paragraph on paragraph, and you're like... Moses, why couldn't you have just said, and Abraham bought a cave to bury his wife in? Wouldn't that have been simpler? No, no, no. The reason that Moses took that long to explain Abraham buying a cave at Machpelah is because God had promised, Abraham, I'm giving you this land for you and your descendants as an everlasting possession, and that's the first land Abraham owned. That This is the fulfillment of God's promises. And then we just studied through Joshua in Sunday school where we... We see that this is promises fulfilled, that God has said, you're going to own this land. Everywhere you put your foot, Joshua, nobody's going to be able to stand against you. And then we even had a lesson that was called promises fulfilled, where all we talked about was this this tribe got this land, and this tribe got this land, and this tribe got this land, and it's parceled out, and you get the names of the people who are moving in. The reason that the land is important is because the possession of the land is symbolic of God being good on His word. That He can be trusted. His covenant goes through. It doesn't fall apart. That He has given you this land as an everlasting inheritance and it would have been a disaster for the family line to end. Because now you no longer you no longer are enjoying the blessings of the land that God has given you forever, that this is a big deal that a Limelech's family name should be perpetuated and not fall off the record books because his family was promised to share in the covenant of God. Do you know that there was a bigger intent of God that goes even farther back than, than God giving Israel the land? I think we would all agree that when God, we believe that when God makes a promise, God intends to keep that promise, Right? He doesn't just make empty promises. So when he says, I intend for this to happen to you, he means it. He meant it when he told Israel, I intend for you to possess this land in perpetuity. That I'm giving this, Abraham, to you and your descendants forever. He meant it. But go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This goes way farther back than that. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Stop right there. Have you ever just read that instead of a... That's not just a command. God, That's God's intent for humanity. That, that We are to be fruitful, we are to multiply, we are to fill the earth, and we are to subdue it. But what happens as soon as sin enters the picture? You can see it reflected in creation that the ground no longer bears its fruit without thorns. That yes, we're multiplying, but we're dying just as fast as we are. Yeah, we're filling the earth, but have we really subdued it? That, that this is not just a command by God, that this is His intent for Humanity. That he intended us to bear his image, to fill the earth, subdue it, to be fruitful and multiply. And that dirty, sneaky snake comes in, tricks us into disobeying God, and now God's intent for humanity is in jeopardy. So just like Boaz looks at the family of Elimelech, and says the fulfillment of the promises of God are in jeopardy if this family is not redeemed. Their name will be blotted out. They'll lose their inheritance. They will lose God's blessing for their family if they pass away and pass out. Just like that was an issue for Boaz and the family of Elimelech, that's an issue for God and the humanity he's created. God said, I had a command, I had an intent for them, and if sin is allowed to run rampant, they're never going to fulfill what I had intended for them. We must fix this. So God sends a Redeemer. He sends Christ. Now what's interesting about Jesus is that in the same way, that Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, that he was of the family of Elimelech, therefore he could fulfill the requirements to to redeem the land. That's why Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, that Jesus is fully God, but he is also a full member of the human family. That in Jesus, God's command and intent is fulfilled. Jesus has fully subdued the earth. Jesus has most definitely still filled the earth. Jesus has most definitely been fruitful and multiplied. We're here. We're, we're called throughout Scripture. The, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You abide in me and I abide in you. You will bear much fruit. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's command and intent. For humanity, that he is the qualified redeemer that he can step in and ensure that God's intent for you is met in the same way that Boaz saved Elimelech's family line. Now, now we get to the weird stuff. Uh, shoes are coming off. Uh, verse 7 Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. Uh, one man took his sandal off and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. If you want to read more specifically about folks taking their shoes off and trading, uh, then you can find that in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Uh, you can make a note there. We're not going to go back and read it. <coughs> um, I, I will say when you go back and you read that passage, it's a little bit more high stakes. Um, this was the, you see that originally in a brother who has refused to redeem a wife, that he is defaulting on his legal obligations and he ends up getting his face spit in. Um, It's a very demeaning thing in Deuteronomy 25. But remember, this man is not a brother. He is a close relative. He is not legally required to redeem Ruth. He is just legally able. So he doesn't have to get shamed. He just He takes off his sandal to confirm this is what's happening. I'm giving up my right of redemption to Boaz. So Boaz accepts it. He says, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal and Boaz holds it up and says, all y'all see this shoe. You see that he did this. They all bear witness. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Killian and Malan's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the willow of Malan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day that this is a public legal transaction of which no one can find any way to dispute. A legal transaction had to occur for Boaz to be able to redeem Ruth because there was a barrier to redemption that was in the way. Brother so-and-so here. In similar fashion, our sin had to be dealt with in a legal manner if God was going to redeem us. He is a good, just God, which means he could not overlook sin, and it had to be dealt with the right way. That... Boaz could not just take Ruth and go get married in some little chapel somewhere and it'd be okay. That This had to be done legally the right way. Do you know that, that, that God, as much as he desired to forgive your sin, do you know that God could not? I know I'm just shocking you because I said there's something God can't do. God could not look down from heaven, just look at your sin and go, I forgive you, it's okay. You know He wasn't able to do that. Well, who could restrict God from doing something? God! He was restricted by his own character. That he can't allow evil to go unjudged. So for him to be able to forgive you, for him to be able to save you, he had to do it the right way way there had to be a sacrifice there had to be a redeemer it had to be carried out legally listen to Paul in Galatians 2 19 through 20For I through the law died to died to the law that I might live to God how did he die to the law through the law? you know this verse I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the way he died to the law, through the law. That Jesus was a legal sacrifice that totally and completely fulfilled the demands of the law that God set forth for his people in the Old Testament. (laughs) Go read Hebrews. That's Hebrews in a nutshell. That Jesus totally and completely fulfilled the demands of the law for us, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he fulfills everything that God required of you. He fulfills the law for you, so that when you put your faith in him, you die to the law through Jesus' fulfillment of the law. That God did it the right way that in the one court that matters, the court in front of God Almighty on Judgment Day, in the same way that Boaz could pick up that sandal and wave it around and say, Witnesses, you saw me when I got this sandal. You know whose shoe this is. You know whose land I had the right to redeem. You know I had the right to redeem Ruth. One day, in judgment, standing in front of God when the enemy brings uh, an accusation against you, Jesus is going to raise that nail-scarred hand and say, Witnesses, you bear witness this day to the fact that I purchased the right of redemption for this man or this woman. And no one will be able to say anything because he can produce the proof. He bears it in his own body. Just like when he said to Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Do you believe it now? Boaz could hold up his proof. Jesus can hold up his. And it'll matter in court because God did it the right way. That God the Son willingly accepted the personal cost of redeeming us. And then God the Father joyfully rewards the sacrifice that redeems us. Look at verse 11. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. <coughs> they say, Boaz, we do see your shoe. We acknowledge your shoe. The Lord make the Now this is incredible. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. This guy, brother so-and-so just rejected Ruth, probably partially, because she was a Moabite. And now all the people in town, you remember Boaz said, I'll gladly do this for you, for everyone in this village knows that you are a virtuous woman. Apparently everybody knew it, but so and so. Because as soon as he goes, I don't want to marry that Moabite, and Boaz goes, I do, and the rest of the people say, that's awesome, Boaz. We want to bless her like we would bless the wives of Israel himself. Rachel and Leah. We want to put her up on that same level. You you are redeeming her to build up a house. We are going to put her right on up there against the greatest house builders in the history of our nation. Blessing. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Now this is pretty interesting. You can make a note in the margin of your handout. If you want to read the story of Perez, it's in Genesis 38. Do you know that Perez was also the son of a kinsman redeemer? From the same tribe? Judah? Perez was a son that was born to build up the family of, some, of a woman whose husband had died. Perez was the son of a kinsman redeemer. So there's one redeemer in Judah's history. How about the time that Judah uh, acted as, as a substitute himself? You remember when he told his father, uh, Jacob, uh, he's getting ready to go into Egypt and Jacob is losing his mind because I've already lost one son and now you're going to make me lose my And Judah says, Father, let me stand in as a substitute. If we don't bring him back, take my life. My life is forfeit. When they get to Egypt, Joseph says, I'm not sending him back. And Judah says, keep me instead. And then now you've got Boaz of Judah standing in as a redeemer. There seem to be a lot of redeemers coming out of Judah. I can think of one real big one. This family seems to have a history of producing redeemers. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Then we get, we get chimes and, and, and bells and weddings. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord. I am so glad they said this to her because if she's going to be bitter and she's not going to bless God, at least they're going to do it for her. She's so bitter. God hates me so much. God's out to get me. My life is bitter. The Lord set his hand against me. Yes, he set his hand so far against you that this entire unlikely saga has happened and produced a child for you. So we just want to let you know who did this, Naomi. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And you know what? His name is famous in Israel. His name's famous everywhere. We're still telling the story of Boaz and Ruth. We're still extolling his virtue of being the kinsman redeemer who was willing to take on the personal cost of this. And the irony of this is, brother so-and-so who was so concerned with building up his inheritance in his name, we have no idea who he is. That's just a word of caution. If you want to build up your own name and you want to build up your own inheritance because you're afraid of a little bit of cost, and being faithful, remember who decides whose name lasts in the end. <laughs> Boaz's name is great in Israel. Judah's name is great in Israel. David's name is great in Israel. that's where we're going, but even beyond that, Jesus's name is great in all Israel and he comes straight out of this family line. May your name be fa- may his name be famous in Israel? And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than ten sons, has borne him. Now this is interesting. We've, We've ceased talking about Boaz and we're starting to talk about the child. A child has been born to a family in Judah who has been called a restorer of life. Isn't that interesting? Seems to be another foreshadow of Jesus, a child born to the tribe of Judah who is a restorer of life. This is all just pointing forward. I hope you're getting tired of me making these allusions to Jesus because he's the whole point of this. This all points forward to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we end it the way we should with the genealogy, starting with the last child in this line who was produced by a kinsman redeemer. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram, Amenadab. Amenadab, nation. Nation, Salmon. Salmon, Boaz. Boaz, Obed. Obed, Jesse, and Jesse, David. That because of the faithfulness of a little Moabitess from the middle of nowhere, and an Israelite who happened to own a lot of barley fields, we end up with the line that produces multiple kings, including David, but ultimately the king of kings. And in the same way that these people blessed Ruth and Boaz, do you know that God blessed Jesus for, for, for fulfilling his task as the redeemer? Listen to Philippians 2, 8-11. through And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name may his name be famous in Israel that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father that God looks on the work Jesus did on the cross and he says well done son you did it right You were faithful, and as a faithful redeemer, you made sure that their name would not be blotted out from the inheritance that I have planned for them. Well done, son. What about Isaiah 53, 11 through 12? This is about Jesus. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He'll be their redeemer. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his soul unto death. Because he was numbered with the transgressors. Because he bore the sin of many. Because he made intercession for transgressors. Because he was our Redeemer. That is why we sing. That is why we lift up his name. That is why his name is famous in Israel, in Palestine, in Arabia, in Southeast Asia, in Northeast Asia, in the middle parts of Asia that I don't know what to call, in Africa, in Europe, in South America, in North America, in heaven above, and earth below, and everywhere else in the corner of creation, there is not a single conscious being who does not know the name Jesus Christ christ of nazareth he has the name that is above every name and will for all eternity why because he is our great kinsman redeemer worthy of all glory and all honor forever and ever amen that's who he is so this story is not about boaz it's not about ruth This story, not just this story, this story is about Jesus. And Jesus stands in the gate, ready to pay the price to free you up to be redeemed. That there is a legal issue between you and God right now, and it is called sin, if you have not trusted him. If you've never trusted him, that sin stands in the barrier between God and yourself, preventing you from having a relationship. You come to Christ, you trust him to be your kinsman redeemer. What he did on the cross wipes away that that set of requirements that is against you, that is contrary to you. It's nailed to that cross. He will take it out of the way and he will restore you to a relationship with himself, ensuring that your inheritance and God's intent for your life is not blotted out from the book, but that your name will carry on in the name of your great redeemer. Trust Jesus, and that is available for you today. And If you're a member of Stapleton and you know Jesus, for goodness sakes, be happy about it. (laughs) This is a happy story. we've been redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Stop it. Quit it. Be happy about it. If you're not happy about it, I question whether you've been redeemed. I'm just going to leave that there and let that soak for a minute. But if you, hadn't, if you hadn't been redeemed, if you hadn't ever called on Jesus, Ms. Joyce is going to play a couple verses here in just a minute. I'm going to be up front. You come uh, talk to me. We'll set up an appointment to talk this afternoon, some other time uh, next week. Um, you, you got a bulletin. It's got a guest card on the side of it. You can fill that out. I will follow up with you. Catch me at the back door. Um, get, get, getting some food at, at the restaurant is nearly as important to me as talking to you about Jesus. Come talk to me. I want you to know you're a redeemer. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for paying the price and doing it the right way so that it will stand up in the eternal court of law. Lord, we love you and we thank you for that. And I pray if there's somebody in here who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself by the power of your Holy Spirit and introduce them to their great kinsman, Redeemer, who stands in the gate ready to pay the price for them. It's in his name we pray. Amen.